Zechariah chapter 12, second to the last book of the Old Testament. We're continuing our series through Zechariah. And we have gotten to this part, which is just phenomenal. So let's read verses 9 and 10. Zechariah chapter 12, verses 9 and 10. And it shall come to pass in that day that I will seek to destroy all the nations that come against Jerusalem. Verse 10. And I will pour upon the house of David and upon the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and of supplications, and they shall look upon me whom they have pierced, and they shall mourn for him as one mourneth for his only son, and shall be in bitterness for him as one that is in bitterness for his firstborn. Lord, help us this morning to get a, a, a good understanding of what's happening in this text, and it's such a profound prophecy. So, Lord, help us now as we study your word. Lord, I pray that, that we will be able to focus, that we'll set aside the thoughts, the cares of this life, all of the things that we may have scheduled for the day, and that for just this, these few minutes that we can focus on your word and focus on you. And, Lord, I pray that you'll help us to do that. In Jesus' name, amen. My message this morning is called, It Shall Come to Pass. It shall come to pass. And I want you to notice, if you look at verse 9, the certainty of the promise, the certainty of the promise. Contrast that with once upon a time. And this is not, he's not saying this is something that happened in the past. He's saying this shall come to pass. And when God makes a statement like that, you can just put it in the bank. This is going to happen Life is full of uncertainty. We all have things that we run into. We don't know what's going to happen. But I can promise you this. What God says here, they're going to look on him who they've pierced. They're going to look on him. They're going to see him and they're going to mourn as one mourns for his firstborn. This is going to come to pass. God's word is sure. Verse 9, of course, is the culmination of all of those prophecies of the nations that come against Jerusalem. If you look at verse 9 again, and it shall come to pass in that day. And of course, when you see in that day, that's the day that Jesus Christ returns. So anytime you see in that day, that's what it's talking about. And he says, I will seek to destroy all the nations that come against Jerusalem. And he destroys them in two ways. We're not going to spend a lot of time on this because we have done it many times. He destroys them with in battle. Zechariah chapter 14. Look at Zechariah 14 and verse 3. Then shall the Lord go forth and fight against those nations as when he fought in the day of battle. So he's going to fight against them in that way. He's going to destroy them. But then we're not going to take the time to turn there. But in Matthew chapter 25, you have the judgment of the nations where God gathers together all of the nations and he judges them based on how they treated Israel. And some of those nations go into destruction. Some of those nations go into the kingdom. And that's the, the, that's the way that God destroys those nations here. It's either in the judgment at the judgment of the nations or in battle, as we saw in Zechariah chapter 14. And that's what takes place in verse 9. And let me say it again, it shall come to pass. This is going to happen. It doesn't matter how many nations align themselves against Israel, and you can see it's happening again. It happens over and over and over again, these, these attacks. It doesn't matter how many times they come against Jerusalem. Ultimately, God is going to destroy the nations that come against them. It shall come to pass. Look at verse 10. And I will pour upon the house of David and upon the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and of supplications. 
Now, something that I want you to notice from verse 10 through chapter 13 and verse 1, there are no more battles. There are no battles here. There are no victories here. This is all about the repentance of Israel. This is the national salvation of Israel. That's what's being discussed. There's no war. There's no conflict. There's no victory. But it's a picture of repentance. But before we get into the picture of repentance, I want you to notice who is speaking here. Very important that you see this. So look at your Bible and notice what it says in verse 10. And what, what's, that, what's the second word of verse 10? I. So who is speaking there? If you look at verse 1, the burden of the word of the Lord for Israel saith the Lord. Look at chapter 2. I'm sorry, verse 2. We're still in chapter 12, verse 2. Behold, I will make Jerusalem a cup of trembling. So who's speaking there? God. Verse 3, in that day will I make Jerusalem a burdensome stone. Verse 4, in that day, saith the Lord, I will smite every horse with astonishment. Verse 6, in that day I will make the governors of Judah like a hearth of fire among the wood. Verse 10, and I will pour upon the house of David and upon the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and supplications. So, everyone, who's speaking here? Is it God speaking? Look at the next sentence. And they shall look upon, what's that next word? How can God be pierced? See, we're in this Christmas season, and we're celebrating the birth of Jesus Christ. Remember, this verse is written hundreds of years before Bethlehem. Young people, y'all look up here at me. You're zoned out a little bit, some of you. All right? Focus. I know it's hard for you to look at me because you're jealous. Suck it up. It's really important that we see this, that it is God himself who is speaking. They shall look upon me whom thou hast pierced. You know, the Jehovah's Witnesses don't believe that Jesus Christ is God. And so, of course, in their Bible, do you know what that verse reads? And they shall look upon him whom they have pierced. How many of you see there's a big difference between him and me? Right? So I could say, I want you to punch him. That's much more satisfying than I want you to punch me. <laughs> you all with me on that? It's very important that you understand who is being spoken of in this text. He said, they shall look upon me, on me. This is one of the greatest verses on the deity of Christ in the Bible. Remember, Hebrews chapter 10, verse 5, thou hast prepared for me a body. That's what Jesus Christ said to the Father. God the Father, Jehovah God, that's the Lord that's being spoken of. It says it here in the text, look at verse 8, and in that day shall the Lord, do you see that all capital letters? That's Jehovah God, Jehovah God. Do you know what that means? That Jesus Christ is God. Jesus Christ is God in the flesh. Notice I did not say Jesus Christ was God 
in the flesh. Jesus Christ, he was born of a virgin. He took on flesh and bones, and he will maintain that body throughout all eternity. Jesus Christ is forever the God-man. When Jesus Christ rose from the dead, he proved that he was, is, and always will be God. And the body that went into the grave is the body that rose from the dead. And that body that rose from the dead is the body that ascended to the right hand of the Father. That body that ascended to the right hand of the Father is there today making intercession for the saints. And one day he's going to get up off that throne and he's going to get on that white horse. And he's going to return to this earth and they're going to see me. That's what the Bible says. You see, that body that was born at Bethlehem is the body that was pierced and beaten and whipped and spat upon and had the crown of thorns pounded into his head. They pierced his body. I read one commentator that said, the Lord that returns, this Messiah that returns, that body has holes in it. In Revelation chapter 5, it talks about they saw him. As a lamb having been slain, he still bears in his body the marks of our redemption. So one of the first things that I want you to notice in this text is who is speaking. It's God. And it's really fun. You can see the persons of the Godhead in this verse. If you look at what it says in verse 10. And I will pour upon the house of David and upon the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and supplications. So they're going to recognize the grace of God. And they're going to recognize the fact that they need to supplicate. They need to, to beg God for forgiveness. And they shall look upon me whom they have pierced. And they shall mourn for, what's it say? Him. So what do we have? God the Father speaking, saying, you pierced me. But they'll look upon him. Why? Because no man has seen God at any time. You see, in this verse makes no sense grammatically if not for the Godhead. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. One God, three persons. Grammatically, this verse makes no sense if there's not God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Isn't that awesome? We slow down and read the words. And they shall look upon me whom they have pierced and shall mourn for him as one mourneth for his only son and shall be in bitterness for him that is in bitterness for his firstborn. They're going to recognize that they should have known Jesus and they should have accepted him. Oh, I want you to see this. Look at uh, Revelation. Keep your place in Zechariah 12. Look at Revelation 1. Look at verse 5. Well, verse 4 for the context. John, to the seven churches which are in Asia, grace be unto you in peace from him which is and which was and which is to come and from the seven spirits which are before his throne. The seven spirits which are before his throne, of course, that's the Holy Spirit of God. Now look at verse 5. And from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness and the first begotten of the dead. He rose. He's the first one who rose from the dead eternally. And the prince of the kings of the earth 
unto him that loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood and hath made us kings and priests unto God and his father. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Amen. Now, let me just, can I, everybody look up here at me for just a second. Everybody. I don't want to scold you, but I'm going to. I got to go to the Bears game because I'm better than you guys. I got to go to the Bears game. And man, I was yelling and it was so much fun. And they pounded the Cowboys, Tony Garangse. <laughs> Tony and I were texting back and forth in the game. And then we got to watch the Buckeyes last night. And I think that's probably why some of you look like you're still asleep. How many of you got a little bit excited when we took the lead? Any of you? You got a little bit excited? Yeah? Glad we won? Any of you? you glad we won? Is that better than the one who was and the one who is and the one who is to come? And one of the things that I don't want to happen, especially during this season where everyone's tired, is that we come to church and our minds are on so many other things or that we're tired and that we're distracted. Let's make it a spiritual discipline while we're here to interact with the Word of God, to interact with the preaching, and to acknowledge in our emotion and in our spirit what's being discussed here. Because look at this next verse. Look at what it says in verse, in verse 7. Behold, he cometh with clouds, and every eye shall see him, and they also which pierced him, and all kindreds of the earth shall wail because of him. Even so, amen. Does that sound anything like Zechariah chapter 12 and verse 10? It shall come to pass. It shall come to pass. Do you know what had to happen before that? What has to happen before this or what had to happen before this can happen? Bethlehem had to happen. And man, we love to celebrate the birth of Christ. There's a song that Larnell Harris had a Christmas album, and this is probably 30 years ago. And he had a song on there at the end of the, the Christmas is over and they're putting the, the ornaments and the Christmas tree and all that stuff up in the attic. And his son or his daughter said, are we going to put Jesus away too? And isn't it interesting? I think a lot of people put Jesus away after New Year's. They put him away. Folks, let's not put him away in here. Let's make sure when we're studying who Christ is and what he did for us, that we are focused, that we're, that we're saying, Lord, I'm gonna, I know that life is busy and life is hard, but we're going to say, Lord, while I'm here with God's people, I'm going to stay focused on God's word. Now, let me say this. The reason that God made me a preacher is because he knows that if I was sitting out there, I would not be focused on the preacher and what he's saying. Okay, I get it. But is it, it, let's, let's just dive in here. Okay, all right, I'll keep going. Okay, back to our previously scheduled programming. So, go back to Zechariah chapter 12. Isn't that amazing that Revelation 1, 7 how it ties in with this. They're going to wail. Here in our text, they're going to mourn. 
as one mourns for his firstborn son. And if you think back to the cries that went up in Egypt on the night of the Passover, where those who had not sprinkled the blood, when, the, when, when God himself came through Egypt and killed the firstborn. And the Bible talks about the wail that went up. That's what's going to happen when people see Jesus Christ. It's an amazing thing. So look again at verse 10. And I will pour upon the house of David and upon the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and of supplications, and they shall look upon me whom they have pierced. And they shall mourn for him as one mourneth for his only son and shall be in bitterness for him as one that is in bitterness for his firstborn. This is a picture of biblical repentance. And so I want to just take just the next couple of minutes and I want us to look at how Israel's repentance as a nation pictures our repentance as individuals. And repentance requires some things, and they're given to us in this text. And the first thing that I want you to see is that repentance begins with God. And look at what it says in verse 10. And I will pour upon the house of David and upon the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and supplications. Sometimes we have this idea that we deserve to hear the gospel. We don't deserve to have heard the gospel. We don't deserve that. That's grace. That's a wonderful thing. God did not need He he was not required to reveal himself to us. He was not required to give us forgiveness. He is not required to give us the grace that it takes to receive him as Savior. But he's done that. As a matter of fact, he's revealed that grace to everybody. The Bible says, The grace of God which bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men. He didn't have to do that, but he revealed himself to us. And it's very important to us, for us to understand that our repentance, and, and what is repentance? Repentance is changing your mind about who you are and who God is and about your sin. That's what repentance is. It's an acknowledgement of who God is and who you are, that God is perfect and righteous and holy and that I am a sinner. And that I deserve to be separated from God forever in a Christless hell. That's what I deserve. Repentance is me moving from I'm okay to God, I need you desperately. You see, it's a change of mind. And it's a change of mind and a change of heart that leads to, listen, a change of position. What is the change of position? The Bible says that all of us are sinners and we're on our way to hell. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. That's who I am. Then it says, but God commendeth his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And then whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Here's what happens when I call in the name of the Lord. I was lost, but now I'm a son of God. I was on my way to hell. Now heaven is guaranteed And, you know, we talked about one day Jesus Christ is going to get up off of that throne and he's going to get on that white horse and he's going to come back to this earth and they're going to look at him and they're going to wail. Here's the good news. I'm coming with him. And I get to ride on a white horse, too. And I'm so glad that I won't need lessons because I don't know how to ride a horse. And we're going to come back with him. Why? Because seven years before he gets up off of that throne, there's going to be a rapture. 
The Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, the trump of God, dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together. That's coming, folks. Let me just tell you, it shall come to pass. It shall come to pass. And the fact that I get to be a part of that is only by the grace and mercy of God. I don't deserve it. I didn't do anything to get it. I can't do anything to keep it. It's all based on him. It's all based on him. He came at Bethlehem so that I could be saved. Hallelujah. That's better than a ball game. Hallelujah. So first of all, repentance. We have to acknowledge that it only comes from God. Number two, repentance requires that we see Christ not as just a little baby, but as God. Look, and I will pour upon, middle of the verse, they shall look upon me whom they have pierced. Jesus Christ is God. Repentance requires, I'm sorry, repentance begins with God. And repentance requires that we see Christ as God. But then repentance requires that we see Christ crucified, whom they have pierced. See, we have to understand that when we look up at Jesus, I'm so thankful that we don't have Christ on the cross right here. Y'all see that? How many of you are thankful that cross is empty? And the tomb is empty. But we must meet Jesus at the foot of the cross and acknowledge that he did that for me. Repentance requires that we acknowledge that it's only by God. It requires that we acknowledge that Jesus Christ is God. But we also have to acknowledge that it's Jesus Christ crucified, that he died. Number four, repentance requires that we see Christ in his resurrection you see, if Jesus Christ was still on the cross or Jesus, if Jesus Christ was still in the grave, then we are still lost. If Christ be not raised, then I, we are of all men most miserable. But Jesus Christ did rise from the dead. We must see him in his resurrection. Remember, Thomas saw Jesus. He said, unless I can put my finger in his hands or my fist in his side, I won't believe. And then Jesus Christ comes in and says, here's my side. Here's my hand. And what was his response? Listen. My Lord and my God. It's the exact same response as Israel. My Lord and my God. See, repentance requires us to see Christ crucified. That he's God and that he became God in the flesh so that he could become pierceable, so that he could become whippable, so that he could, we, he could be spat upon, so that the crown could be nailed into his head. That's why Jesus Christ was born at Bethlehem. And unless we see him crucified, we will never understand what biblical repentance is. That Jesus Christ died. He died. Number five. Repentance requires acknowledgement of why Jesus was crucified. Look at verse 10 again, middle of the verse. And they shall look upon me, look at what it says, whom they have pierced. Do you see that? Whom they have pierced. When Mel Gibson made his movie about the crucifixion of Christ, the passion of Christ, um, the, the famous scene that was not in the movie was where they tried to release Jesus, and they said, no, give us Barabbas, crucify him, crucify him. 
And then the Jewish people said, let his blood be on our heads and on our children's heads. And they didn't put that in the movie because the Jewish Anti-Defamation League really protested it. Why did they protest it? Because what that movie was was a passion play. And throughout Europe, throughout history, after the passion play, when people saw the crucifixion of Christ, they, they would say, let his blood be in our heads and our children's heads. And then they would go out and find Jews and kill them. But this text says, whom they have pierced. Who pierced him? The Romans did. The Romans did. And yet, it was with the approval, the demand of the Jews. You see, it's very interesting. Repentance requires acknowledgement of why Jesus was crucified. And for you and me, it's really important that we understand. It wasn't because of the Jews. It wasn't because of the Romans. It was because of me. It was because of me. See, it's very easy to go and attack the Jews. It might be very easy for us to go and attack the Romans. You know, easier today than 2,000 years ago. You all with me? But who should I blame for the crucifixion of Christ? Me. Do you understand how repentance requires an understanding that Jesus Christ died for me? If I were the only person to ever live, Jesus Christ would have gone to the cross. He tasted death, the Bible says. Sometimes you see the word all. I love the, this verse. He tasted death for every man. He died for me. Repentance requires the acknowledgement of why Jesus Christ was crucified. And then repentance requires acknowledgement of grace. Let's look at a couple of verses. Look at 1 Corinthians 15, 3. Why was Jesus Christ crucified? 1 Corinthians 15, and look at verse 3. For I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I also received, how that Christ died for, what are those next two words? Everyone? A little bit louder. He died for our sins. Look at 1 Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter chapter 2. Look at verse 21, 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 21. For even hereunto were ye called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that ye should follow his steps, who did no sin, neither was guile found in his mouth, who when he was reviled, reviled not again, when he suffered, he threatened not, but committed himself to him that judgeth righteously." Look at what it says. Who his own self bear. What are those next two words? Our sins in his own body on the tree. That we being dead to sins should live unto righteousness. 
by whose stripes ye were healed. See, repentance requires an acknowledgement of why Jesus Christ died and an acknowledgement of grace. Look at 1 Peter chapter 1 and look at verse... Sorry, 2 Peter. I think it's 2 Peter. Let me look to make sure. Sorry, it's 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 18. First Peter chapter 3 and verse 18. For Christ also hath once suffered for sins. If you don't have that word once marked in your Bible, would you mark that? That word once. How many of you are thankful that Jesus Christ doesn't need to be sacrificed every time we take communion? How many times does the Bible say Jesus Christ had to suffer? Once. Remember when the, the children of Israel were in the wilderness and God told Moses to strike the stone and water came out of the stone, the, the rock. The Bible tells us later that that rock is Jesus. And then later on, Moses got mad and struck the stone again. God told him to speak to the stone. Remember, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. He was smitten once. He was smitten. And after he was smitten and rose from the dead, now we speak to him and ask him to save us. Why couldn't Moses go into the Holy Land? Because Jesus Christ will not be smitten twice. He will not be smitten twice. Jesus Christ died once for our sins. Let's look at it again. For Christ also hath once suffered for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring who to God? Everyone. Who is it? Being put to death in the flesh, but quickened by the Spirit. Look at John chapter 10. It's so important for us to understand grace that Jesus Christ died on the cross for us. John chapter 10, look at verse 17. Therefore doth my Father love me, because I lay down my life, that I might take it again. See, there's two sides to this coin. Jesus died for us. Jesus died for me. Amen. Jesus died for us. But we could not have killed him. Rome could not have killed him. The Jews could not have killed him. Look at what it says in verse 18. No man taketh it from me, but I lay it down of myself. I have power to lay it down. And I have power to take it again. This commandment have I received of my Father. See, repentance requires an acknowledgement of the grace of God. Remember, we say this often, and you might want to write it next to that verse, that the crucifixion of Christ was not a tragedy, it was an accomplishment. Remember Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration speaking with Moses and Elijah about the death that he would accomplish. That's the grace of God. You know, throughout Christmas time, we'll, we will receive gifts. Now, let's be honest. Be honest. How many of you like to get gifts? You like to get gifts? Me too. You know, for Elf, smiling is my favorite. Getting gifts is my favorite. This guy, getting, I love getting gifts. 44 short, 9.5D, just in case you wondered.
when the wise men brought those gifts to Jesus in the manger, it wasn't in the manger, it was three years later. Gold acknowledged his deity. Frankincense, his death. I'm sorry, his priesthood. Myrrh, his death. And remember, when Jesus Christ died, they came to anoint his body, and they brought aloe and myrrh to anoint his body. So those gifts were a prophecy of who he was, that Jesus was, is, and always will be God, that he is our high priest. For we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. He's our high priest. And then that, that myrrh for his death, it's interesting that in the kingdom, in the book of Isaiah, we find that, that people bring Jesus gifts as he's sitting on the throne in Jerusalem. They bring him gold for his deity. And they bring him frankincense because he will be our ultimate priest at that time. Listen, but there's no myrrh. There's no myrrh because he once suffered for sins. He once suffered for sins. And no one killed him. And although the Bible says that in the book of Acts, you killed him. You took and you, you killed him. What is that? They're responsible for it. They're responsible for their actions, but they could not have done it had Jesus not chosen to be crucified. Remember, Zechariah chapter 12 and verse 10 was written hundreds of years before Bethlehem. It was written hundreds of years before Calvary, and that never could have happened. It never could have happened if Jesus Christ didn't say, I lay it down willingly. That's grace. That's the gift. We always talk about it. I'm going to make that a gift to you. But you've got to wash my car every week for the next 10 years. And so it always comes back because Sam's very lazy. No, because it's not a gift. Jesus Christ's gift of eternal life, when he came, listen, uh, this is something I hadn't thought about this. This is great. Hopefully I remember this for the rest of my life. The gifts of God, gifts and calling of God are without repentance, the Bible says, right? The gift of eternal life is forever. The gift of Jesus Christ in that manger is forever. He's going to have that body forever. I just got some goosebumps right there. Everything God, what's, the Bible says it this way, whatsoever God doeth, it shall be forever. He's forever our Savior. And listen, our eternal salvation will forever be of grace. See, this time of year we get guests and we have people coming through and I'm always happy for that. We want to have more. But you never know what the religious background of people is. So it might be that you come from a church that, where they preach salvation just the way that I preached it, but they also preach that if you sin, you'll lose your salvation. Well, that's not forever. There are some people that believe, yes, I have to believe in Jesus and his death, burial, and resurrection, but I also have to do good works. Well, the Bible says, if of grace, then not of works. It can't be both. It's either works or it's grace. That's it. It doesn't matter. And so we have people coming through who have different understandings of salvation. But the Bible makes it very clear. Whoever, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord and do a bunch of good works shall be saved. Is that what the Bible says? No. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Speak to the rock. And Jesus Christ will save you. When we celebrate Christmas this year, 
let's remember, he's no longer the baby. He's no longer the baby. Listen, he's not helpless. He's not needy. He's Lord. He's Lord. Repentance. One day, the nation of Israel will say, you are our God. And he'll say, you are my people. That's the nation. Right now, God's dealing with individuals. Jesus Christ died for you. He died for everyone, but he died for you specifically. Have you had that sacrifice, that payment, applied to your account? If you died today, are you 100% sure that you are going to heaven? If you're not, then celebrating Christmas is worthless for you. Because if you die during the Christmas season, you're going straight to hell. That's not what Jesus wants. It's not God's will that any should perish, but that all should come to, what's the word? Repentance. Repentance. What is repentance? Lord Jesus, you're God. I'm not. I deserve to go to hell. You died on the cross so that I don't have to. Lord Jesus, I believe that you're God. I believe that you died for my sins. I believe that you rose from the dead. And that you are and always will be God. And that I deserve to go to hell. Please forgive me. and Be my savior. I repent today. Every head bowed. There's someone here that would say, Pastor, I need to repent today. I need to get saved. Would you raise your hand? Nobody's looking but me. I need to repent today. Today needs to be my day of salvation. 